Well, today we're happy to be joined by the great Mike Hall of Big Ten Network. And if you are old enough to remember the first winner of Dream Job on ESPN back in 2003. And uh, Mike, uh, was that ESPN for maybe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe a couple of years and then Big Ten Network ever since. So you are basically like uh, Rich Eisen who left ESPN around the same time and then went the rest of the way with NFL Network. That's you at Big Ten Network. Yeah, I was uh, I was at ESPN in 04, and then in 05, they launched ESPNU, and they had me go uh, launch that network down in Charlotte, so I signed a new two-year deal with them. So I was there a total of three years, but yes, I left in the summer of 07 to come back uh, to Chicago and do uh, BTN. And, uh, you know, it's very interesting. Obviously, I'm sure whenever you do an interview, you're asked about dream job, I imagine, right? Because it's such an unusual way to get into the industry. So just for a little bit of background, uh, this is a reality show that ESPN aired in 2003. And again, I think 04 and 05, where they had people who were interested in working in the industry, basically compete for a job on SportsCenter. So if you remember, and TJ, I'm sure you remember, like I the was watching, up- yeah. I was rooting for my call. I was watching. <laughs> Good answer. Yeah. The locked up in a tight one guy. You remember him? Quigley. <laughs> yes, Quigley. Thank you. I, I, that actually activates the memory in my mind. I didn't even remember the name, but yeah, uh, that was a heck of a show that they, that they had there back in 03. What was your experience like being a contestant on that show? It was pretty nuts, man. It was, I was a, a senior in college and, um, you know, I, uh, uh, I went out in, like you said, the audition started in the fall of 03 and it was just a cattle call. I mean, it was like, I don't know, 13,000 people or something auditioned and there was no reason to think that I would stand out. Um, the stories I always tell are, are we went to St. Louis cause I was at the university of Missouri studying broadcast journalism. And we, we drove down at like 6 a.m. to St. Louis to try to be early in line. My buddy and I, who was a journalism guy named Steve Lippo, and he and I waited in line and there were 10 of us in a group and you did these different you know things for the audition. And three guys were asked to stay after. It was me, it was Steve, and a dude with a massive, huge red afro. So that kind of gives you an idea that it was part show, part reality show. So part you know talent search and part we're trying to make TV. Um, but it was nuts, man. And then by the time it was on the show that we started, I think around mid February of 04 and it went till the end of March. And, um, I mean, the show was really fun to be a part of because, you know, again, you're 22, you want to get into the industry and they're one week sending you to Florida to do a piece on spring training. And it was like, holy cow, how cool is that? And then, you know, the next week you're sitting next to Carl Ravitch and you're doing a sports center and you're interviewing Peyton Manning and, you know, all that stuff just never got old. It was a really cool, uh, I mean, the entire, I, I kept saying like, just the fact that I got on the show was a win, right? And then the fact that I was continuing and getting these cool experiences week after week was a win. So even if I didn't win the show, it was still like, what an amazing life experience for me. And then I was fortunate enough to win it and it kind of, you know, started my whole career. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get any pushback from people? Because I imagine that, you know, folks who went through it the normal way to get into the broadcasting business might have, you know, maybe looked down on winning a reality show. Did you ever experience anything like that? Mostly for my mom and dad. I mean, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, you know, here and there. I mean, for the most part, when I um, it was something I was very well prepared for. Um, Scott Van Pelt pulled me aside my first week there and said, uh, you're going to get heat. Uh, I expect people who make 
shot sheets for you, which are those, the, the highlights are all written on a shot sheet where it you know, says what's happening in the game, who does what and what the result of it is. And that's what the anchors read off of when you're reading a highlight. He was like, I expect people will screw things up for you on purpose to try to make you look dumb. So be ready for it. And it was, you know, that's a big bucket of cold water in the face. Uh, welcome to Bristol. Um, but, uh, but it didn't really happen that much. There was, there was one anchor who was kind of openly a jerk to me on air uh, every time we worked together. But that's honestly less than 5%. I mean, I, I always, the way I, I described it was um, uh, 10% of the people really just didn't like the way I got there and wanted me to know it. 10% of the people loved me. They watched the show and thought it was great. And 80% of the people were like, hey, man, if you're nice and you work hard, we don't care how you got here. Be a part of the team. And that was my, my general, you know, most of the time it was perfectly like, if you work hard and you're nice, that's all that we care about. So were there a couple of people who were, were not kind to me? Yeah. But on the whole, it didn't stick out like that. In fact, I could easily argue there's a, there's a famous anchor named Bill Pito. Like Bill mm -hmm. Pito watched the show and would come up to me and be like, Mike Hall, what do you have? <laughs> and was excited to do shows with me and ask me about the experiences. And I was like, you hosted shows with Berman. Why are you asking me my opinion? But but that's how kind he was. Uh, and so a lot of it, it, honestly, it really was mostly very, very positive. What an impression of Pedo that we get on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. We're loving Mike Hall telling some stories. Was, do we sneak initials on who didn't like you or no? You're not even going to go initials on who didn't like you. We Here's don't have to thing. play 20 questions. I could tell you, but <laughs> the truth of the matter is this person ended up not having a wildly successful career and so i'd rather not there you go jump on his uh yeah yeah there you go so i wanted to ask you something along those same lines take people inside and you already did just a little bit that empire as it was being built and is still continued to to uh, obviously expand in terms of facilities the popularity of espn you were around it in the early 2000s there for a couple of years what was that part like a lot of people would love to know that insight it was not one day did I not feel like I needed to be pinched? I mean, every, every single day, there was something that made me go, I can't believe I'm here. I mean, you'd even like, I, cause I'm a pretty big sports broadcasting nerd, right? I mean, it's what I wanted to do since basically high school. And so when I would walk down a hallway and I would, you know, see someone who was an executive who was in a, this is sports center commercial. I was like, I know that guy. I've seen him on TV. And you do that all the time. And, you know, one of my um, my favorite experiences, my first time meeting Tim Kirchin, right? Again, I was a huge baseball fan. And, and back then, in my mind, baseball tonight was as big as Sports Center. And he came up to me the first time I met him and he goes, I got to tell you, I can't believe the way you did it, what you did. And like hearing his voice crack and he was being nice to me, it like blew me away. Um. But that whole, I mean, it was an empire. I mean, you know, people are already referring to it as the mothership at that point. Certainly Dan Patrick was. And, um, you know, uh, it, it really, it, you felt small, not in a diminutive way, in a I can't believe I'm here way. Um, and when you would see people and you, you walk past an office and Chris Berman is in there and you walk down a hallway and Dan Patrick's walking the other way. And um, you didn't want to disappoint anyone either. I felt, I felt a very... Uh, heavy uh, appreciation for the place in that I wanted to make sure I wasn't disappointing someone. And, and a few times I got to do sports centers with Bob Lee and it was like, 
man, this is cool, but also, gosh, I just, I just wanted to be proud, you know, of me and not embarrassed of me. Um, so it, it, but it was, it is uh, funny. I, I haven't been back since I, since the early winter of 05. And my understanding is I wouldn't recognize it, that even in those, whatever, 17, 18 years that just the new buildings and the way things have blown up that I, I don't, I wouldn't know where to go because everything is all already so different from when I was there. And it was pretty big then. Yeah. I mean, the fact is you were there in a particular era of yeah. sports center, the tail end of that 1990s era where the anchor was a star. Whereas today, just from the nature of how things have changed, the, the, the anchor is only a star if they have their own show like Scott Van Pelt. Uh, not so much Sports Center anymore. Uh, so, you know, we've talked so far about your your ESPN tenure, but obviously most of your career has been at Big Ten Network and you joined BTN really from the start. Uh, so what was that like? One, what went into you leaving ESPN and ESPNU for BTN? And what was it like getting in at the ground floor? Well, first, the leaving ESPN, um, so I'd done ESPNU for two years um, and it was amazing and I got way better. Uh, I, I always tell people the best way to succeed in the industry is obviously one, win a game show. Um, and then number two, if you don't have that opportunity, it's just get reps, right? The serious answer is get reps, get as many. If you have the opportunity in your 20s, it's, it's not try to get the most money or the the highest prestige. It's go where you're going to work a lot because if you do that in your 20s, then you can use that in your thirties and forties to actually try to get a better salary and better opportunities and yada, yada. Um, and I was, I was doing two, three, four hours of hosting every day at ESPNU. I was our only full-time studio host. And um, that was great reps. It also was draining. Uh, and listen, I get it. Cry me a river. Like no one wants to hear that the kid who won dream job was tired, but it was a lot. Um, and after a while, I, I basically went to them and, and when my contract was up and I was like, hi, can I get some help? You know, I, I just like a little help, even if it's only one extra week of vacation where I can like go see my friends and family and just be 25 instead of feeling, you know, stuck working till 2 a.m. every day. And um, and they basically responded with, well, here's a raise. And I was like, thank you very much. That's nice. But I, I actually really want um you know, could I get some help? Could we send someone from Bristol down to help, you know, once a week to, to give me something like a Friday night off before a Saturday of football, we are on air for 14 hours. And they basically wrote back and they said, all right, we'll give you a, a slightly bigger raise. And it was like, oh no, I think we're, I think they don't think I actually mean this. I think back then at the time, again, it was oh seven. It was like, oh, you're just trying to negotiate. Sure. Um, but I was serious. I, I kind of wanted to adjust my life a little bit. And I knew the Big Ten was uh, launching a network and I wanted to get back to Chicago where I'm from. Um, and I knew, um, you know, Comcast Sports Chicago back in the day also had an opening. And I was like, you know, I'd like to stay national, but I also really would like to try living at home. And if I have an opportunity to move to Chicago, I would I would love to do that. And so I actually left ESPN without uh, an offer, um, which was uh, I don't recommend because that was a stressful summer. And I jump in, what is mom or dad saying? What is the agent saying when you're saying to them, I I'm going to go figure it out? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, it was mostly, there was a lot of trust. It was like, we hear you. Like, I get it. You, you know what you want. Um, inside the company at ESPN, there was a lot of pushback. Some people that I considered mentors were very harsh with me of like, you better know what you're doing, kid, because this is a, you, you have the golden ticket and you're leaving Wonka's factory like, 
I hope you know what you're doing. And, um, and that was, you know, a brush of reality, but I'm a fairly centered person. And I really felt I, I looked at both sides of it and knew it was worth the risk. And, and my agent felt very confident that one of those two opportunities would come through. Um, but I mean, it definitely was a risk. Uh, again, I don't, there's that old, what's that old saying? A monkey in a forest never leaves one branch when he's swinging until he has a firm grasp on the other one. That was not me, man. I, I jumped and had no, no branch to hang on to or no vine, I should say. Um, and then when uh, it was uh, late July, I think mid-July, something like that, um, when I ended up uh, getting an offer from both places and ended up staying, uh, choosing the, the Big Ten Network route. And that was really cool because, um, you know, I'd launched a network two years earlier in ESPNU. So I kind of knew what we were going through. So the meetings we would have as a group in that July and August before we launched at the end of the month, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, I've been here before. And they were different because it was, you know, this was a Fox company and I, ESPNU obviously was an ESPN company. And so they see the world differently. Um, but uh, it was it was cool. And that first year we weren't in many homes. So we, we did some experimenting, which was great creatively. Um, it is fun to be in those meetings where you're like, should we call the show Big Ten tonight or Big Ten now? And you're kind of spitting ideas out and, well, what kind of analysts should we have? And what kind of segments should we have? And that, that brainstorming was really cool and, and challenging. Um, and it was, listen, there were rocky moments that first year, but we also got to do a lot of really cool stuff. Like we had this show called Friday Night Tailgate where I had uh, Second City comedians on. And one of them was Jordan Klepper, who's blown up, you know, in the world of Comedy Central and everything. And one of them is Steve Waltin, who's a writer for Colbert. And one of them was Tim Baltz, who's on that HBO show, Righteous Gemstones. Like these were really fun, cool people. And that was an experience I wasn't going to get at any other network. And so launching it was challenging and stressful. But we also got to do these fun things. And honestly, at the end of the day, you kind of knew it's not on us to make the network successful. Like it's a business. And if we get into cable networks, we're going to be successful. And that just wasn't up to us. So we, we kind of just trusted the bosses and the Fox people that they knew what they were doing. And we would just do our job and, and let the pieces fall where they did. And luckily, it worked out pretty well. And obviously now BTN is, uh, you know, I mean, it's a major college football network it's nielsen rated which not every, it's the only one actually of those right. uh, uh legal networks to be nielsen rated uh and uh things are getting even bigger now with the new big 10 contract so i'm curious you know what is your uh typical role now at, at btn in, in in this era where it's a, a much bigger network uh i know you were in uh you were in my neck of the woods i think the other day correct and uh could you give me some background you were doing the best burger challenge <laughs> is that right? yeah so uh my role is different this year i'm taking on a different role uh this year i had a lot the last handful of years, I've been very, very studio centric. So on a, a fall Saturday, I would do our, you know, like five years ago, I was doing our 11 a.m. Central pregame, halftime, postgame in the studio of football games. And the last couple of years, I was doing more like updates on a fall Saturday. And this year, they sent me on the road we, for our um, Saturday morning show. Our version of um, uh, college game day is called a Big Ten tailgate. Uh, and, uh, or uh, big noon kickoffs, you know, all, all those type of shows mm -hmm. and we're on campus. And, uh, so the, the premise was for me to try to bring, you know, some energy and some fun to that show. Um, so I've been on the road every weekend this fall and I will be the rest of the season. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're doing some, you know, trying to keep it loose and trying to keep it like a, a party atmosphere. So like you're actually at a tailgate. And, uh, one of the ideas I had was, uh, that we go to a different, uh, place on each campus and try to find which campus has the best burger. 
Um, so I will, I will ask people online the week before saying, all right, I'm coming to Champagne. Where's the best burger place? And usually you'll get, you know, 20, 30, 40 answers. And there's a consensus of like two or three. And then we'll, we'll pick one of them to go to and have them make us a burger and, and try it out. And uh, we do actual football talk on the show, but we definitely uh, do some. Uh, I'm a big burger guy. I would have loved to have been in on this deal to go around around the Big Ten. So have you? how many have you done so far with the burger, with going to the burger, five, seven, eight? You've, you've gotten a lot of good burgers? Had some great ones. Uh, we met uh, the best one was the great story was we're in Indiana. And there's this place called Buffalo's, which has been there for a long time. And everyone, everyone told me go to Buffalo's at Indiana. It's like, okay. So we went there and the owner's kind of goofy and he's high energy and, and he's fun and different and weird. And uh, he said, uh, you know, what, what would you like? And I was like, well, I think um, I'm thinking this blue cheeseburger sounds good. He goes, what you got to do is our shroom and Swiss. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, just so you know, I hate mushrooms. He goes, got it. Shroom and Swiss. And, uh, and, <laughs> And you need some wings. And I was like, well, that's very nice of you. Like, we're known for our wings. I was like, I got it. But it's called a burger battle. So the wings don't really. He goes, Sherman Swiss and wings coming right up. And he leaves. And he comes back with the burger I didn't want and the wings that aren't a part of the bit. And sure enough, it was by far the best burger I've had. I don't know how he did it. It was an unbelievable burger with a topping that I absolutely hate. And the wings were fantastic, too. So that, that's been my favorite spot so far. That's that's a great story in and of itself. Hey, one more from me on this because you've been most gracious with your time. The Big Ten expansion has has been crazy. All right, so it's one thing to add like a Rutgers and a Maryland to Nebraska, but now to add the two teams in Los Angeles and the belief is several more, maybe Notre Dame, maybe other Western teams. What is your take on where this is headed? New TV deals for the Big Ten with television networks. The Big Ten network is obviously, by extension, going to benefit. Give me a thought on the expansion and the times that we're in right now. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it was the last two summers. Boy, were those two big surprises, right? With Texas, Oklahoma last year and uh, USC, UCLA this year. Was, I, I didn't see either one coming. Um, I, I mean, I will say last week was basketball media days. And so I had a chance to chat with the commissioner, Kevin Warren. And, and we didn't get you know crazy specifics. And I don't have any inside knowledge. But the vibe I got from, from him and from everyone is, is kind of like, I think we're done for a little bit, but nobody really knows. And even if they did know, they wouldn't tell me or you two or, or anyone. Um, but it seems to me, my understanding is that the plan is going forward to stay at 16 and they'll reassess when it's time to reassess. But, but that those were the two schools that once they reached out to the conference, the conference was like, that's a great fit academically, historically, yada, yada, yada. Um, so I, I think it's going to be on a little bit of a pause right now is my best guess. As for the fit, like, I get it. It's the first time that there's been massive expansion where geography was not a consideration, right? Because you mentioned the, the Rutgers and the Maryland, right? Those are close to Penn State. That keeps the Nittany Lions happy, gives them local contacts, et cetera. Nebraska easily fits in with the Big Ten culturally. you got an Iowa rivalry built in. Minnesota makes sense. I mean, there's a, all those were sort of logistical, obvious ones. The geography right is the big question mark. My understanding is that the league has literally been having people figure out options since they announced it basically every day, trying to figure out the best way to do it. Part of that is, you know, what do you do with the non-revenue sports? And I think there's actually a great opportunity. If you're softball or baseball, well, you're used to spending March not in the Big Ten. You'd go down to Florida forever. Well, maybe they now go to Southern California and they can play conference games, right? And there's Listen, is that going to be tough to be away from school for a while? Yeah, but remember, those softball and baseball teams are used to that. It'd just be on a different coast. 
the football and the basketball, like I get it, but the, the, the way it's been phrased to me is keep in mind, you know, a flight from uh, UCLA or USC to Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State was two hours. And so you're adding one hour on those flights if you're going to the majority of the Big Ten. Now, yeah, if you go all the way to Rutgers or Maryland, which people have frequently wanted to point out, okay, obviously that's going to be a longer flight, but that's not going to happen every day. And still remember half of their conference games will be at home and still remember most of their non-conference games will be at home. So I, the more I think about it, the more I understand the logic and how they can find ways to make it work. It's still going to be an issue. I mean, it just, it is until people do it for probably a couple of years and figure out, did this work? Is this feasible or are there new problems? And, and do they have to readjust the way they do scheduling? And there's a lot of talk about grouping schools and maybe you bring two of them out West and they rotate each other. And, and the same thing, if UCLA comes to Indiana, they'll play Indiana and then two days later play Purdue in basketball or or soccer or whatever it would be um, and then come back and people smarter than me guys are figuring that out. I'm not sure, but um, I think it just might be part of the new reality of, I mean, the, I will say the crazy thing is how much has changed in college sports in the last small handful of years from transferring to NIL to conference expansion. I mean, it is shock. Each of those would be the story of the decade if they happened alone. So we are in a transformative time and I think we're just going to kind of see where things go and hopefully the smart people are listening and, and if things don't work, then they make adjustments and try to make them better. Yeah. And, you know, one more question here on this topic. So much of the Big Ten and even what we just talked about with the burger challenge is the culture of that, you know, environment, the Midwestern culture. The fact is a fan base in Illinois is going to be a lot like the fan base in Indiana and in Michigan and Ohio State, et cetera, et cetera. It's different culturally with USC and UCLA. I mean, how do you feel that, that those schools are going to be as a cultural fit? And as an example, how have Maryland and Rutgers been as a cultural fit so far? Yeah, that's a fair question. And that's one I've, I've heard before, too. I think it's just honestly, a little bit less of a consideration. I think, I think the idea is what is best overall for the conference in terms of, you know, finances and academics and, and all sorts of issues. And the idea of a cultural fit, like it used to be, I, I, I like to think back when I started at ESPN, there were basically six major college football conferences. They were all culturally and geographically basically contained right the big east had a certain style of football and they played in a certain area the big 12 the same thing the pack you know 10 back then the big 10 etc they all were their own things now me personally i love that i that's that's what made that was the era that i fell in love with college football and so my heart and my brain always want to go back there but the world changes right and even though it might not have been what i wanted like that's where we are so you have to adjust and my guess is the the you know, powers that be basically saw the things that were positives were more important than making sure, you know, a kid from LA has a different winter than a kid from Minneapolis, which, which is very <laughs> true. They do. Um, but I think some of the things that are, are similar is what they would, they would say are more important than, than that cultural fit. So for example, I mean, I mentioned the academics and the history and all that, but also you could argue if you're this power broker, which the conference is, it's important to not just be one region. It's important to not just be one culture that if you add Maryland 
and Rutgers. A, you're helping that alumni base from the Big Ten in the Midwest that is out there, and they're they're closer affiliated with those schools. Um, but B, you're just growing. And so you're not just Midwest. You're Midwest and you're East Coast, and now you're Southern California. And, and that there are various benefits uh, to that. Again, I was not, for some reason, invited into any of these meetings. So when they made these decisions, they didn't ask me. But that's my understanding of, of where the, the mindset's been. All right. Hey, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to, to be with us today. It was great talking to you about uh, Dream Job and all that Before early. Before he gets out of here, where's he going to go eat a burger this weekend? We got to know what's up with the burger this weekend. If we know, what's the itinerary? Well, speaking of cultural shifts, I'm going to Maryland. And I believe we're going to a place where they're going to put some crabs mm. on a burger for me. I got to so. watch. I got to watch now. <laughs> yeah, sounds... Uh, that definitely sounds interesting. I've never had a crab meat no, burger before. Me no, me either. Yeah. Wow. Maybe you'll uh, meet up with Scott Van Pelt, who's uh, certainly, he could probably give you some recommendations. That's for sure. The last time I was at Maryland, it was with, uh, remember Gary Williams, the legendary yes. basketball coach. And so there's this famous place that, that Scott himself told me a long time ago, you got to go to, which everyone, to be fair, in Maryland says, you got to go to Bentley's. It's RJ Bentley's. It's this place that's been there forever. Um, but I believe one of Scott's Emmys is up there in uh, Bentley's uh, because he donated the place because that place means so much to him. So uh, I'll be thinking of Scott when I'm there for sure. All right. Well, thanks again for taking the time. We really appreciate it and looking forward to watching you the rest of the season on BTN and seeing uh, maybe you'll be out in L.A. eating a burger in a couple of years, too. Looking forward to it. Thanks for the time, guys. That was fun.